I think that's where a lot of people go go bad with a pup. They throw them in a pen and just throw feed to them every day. And to me, you got to make a connection with them. Some guys don't agree with me on that, but I think you got to have a good bond with a dog. It's real simple, I think, with a pup, and a lot of people don't understand it. When a pup is ready to start, it will start. You can't force a pup to start, and you can't force a pup to treat. It has to do it on its own. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Stark Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Stark. On today's episode, I want to discuss something with you guys that probably is affecting a lot of you right now with the weather. I know I've seen on social media and in the news that there's a lot of really bad winter storms out there. Most of these winter storms were impacting a lot of areas south of me, which is pretty surprising because usually this time of year, we have quite a bit of snow and we haven't had any snow at all yet. It's actually been in the 40s here and sunny and my grass is still green, which is very surprising for this time of year. I saw in the Carolinas and Tennessee and Kentucky and West Virginia and those areas have gotten a lot more snow than we have. So hope all of you out there are doing all right dealing with that. You might get snow every year, but it looks pretty bad down there right now. And I've actually been in the process of remodeling my kennels. So I wanted to address the issue of winterizing your kennels or making sure your dogs are taken care of, especially in extreme cold climates. Some of the most important things in keeping a dog safe and warm, or really any animal in the wintertime this time of year, is making sure that they have fresh, dry, warm bedding, and they have a place to make sure they're out of the wind and out of the elements. As a lot of you know, my Mountain Cur Jacks, he's a house dog and lives in the house, and I do keep dogs in the house. So I'm not opposed to having hunting dogs in the house at all, but I do want them to be as comfortable as possible, especially when temperatures get down around zero degrees like it usually does every year here. So to start off just discussing the bedding I use for my dogs just to make sure they're warm and comfortable. I use straw in my dog houses to make sure they're nice and warm. And it's also soft for them. And where I live, straw bales come from wheat fields. So when the farmers harvest the wheat, they also make square bales out of it. And this gets very dry and it's very warm. And actually I have family up here that does that so I can get a good amount of straw bales for really cheap. So every day I make sure they have new fresh bedding. That way they can be comfortable laying on it and also stay really warm. And that's in their house. And right now their houses are located in an insulated building. So each dog has an individual house for themselves that they can come inside, inside of a building. And I have cameras out there monitoring the inside and outside of the kennel. That way I can see how the dogs are doing. And also it monitors the temperature so I can see, make sure it's warm out there for them. And then on the inside, I just recently installed a, a wood burning stove. If you follow me on my other social media pages, you'll see where I've been posting a lot about that. I just got that installed. And last night it got down in the 20s, which isn't super cold at all for this time of year. But inside the kennel, it was about 70 degrees all night. So they were nice and warm and comfortable. So each dog has a very spacious place to sleep. Then on the outside of the building, I have retriever kennels from Tractor Supply. They're the nice welded wire kennels. That way when they're not sleeping, they can go out and go to the bathroom and play and get exercise a little bit. I have those kennels set up on a wooden deck. I just got the wood from Menards and used the decking timber they have. And I also stained it and sealed it. So I have those kennels sitting on wood for them so they can go outside. And they can stay out of the mud and I can clean it and make sure their pens stay nice and clean. And if you've been following me at all on my other social media pages, you'll see that I get them out and hunt with them and play with them and socialize every single day. Having the inside of that building remodeled with electricity and heat really makes it nice so I can get pups or dogs out and go in there with them. And I have a chair set up 
where I can just go sit down in there and relax and they can just run around and play. Or what usually ends up happening is they play for a little bit and then if I get working on something or a new project, they'll just go lay down by that wood stove and take a nap. So like I said earlier, one of the most important things is to make sure that they can get in out of the wind. And where the doghouse sits inside of the building and the dogs then go outside into their run, it's really important to have a way to seal that up, but also let them go in and out. I'm sure if any of you've had dogs out there have experienced this, if you try to use any sort of a dog door, what usually ends up happening is it gets chewed up and busted up and it doesn't really last very long because it's usually made out of some sort of like cheap plastic material or rubber or some people even make their own with just stuff they have around the house just to make sure they can get it out easy and it blocks the wind from getting in the building or in the doghouse or wherever they're at. So I decided to do some research and try and find something because I have used different dog doors in the past and they just didn't hold up. I wanted to make sure that the dogs in the building stayed warm. So I did some research online and I came across Gundog House Doors. It's an online company that makes a lot of supplies for dog hunting. And specifically, they make dog house doors. And their doors are guaranteed for the life of the dog or 10 years. And that includes even if it gets chewed up. But the thing about those doors is you'll probably never have to use that warranty because the frame on the door is made out of steel. And it actually has installation with them was super easy. It only takes a couple screws and it's up. How it works, it has a steel frame that's a little bit wider than the gap on the building. So when the dog goes to leave the building and goes out, it pushes the whole frame up and the spring then pulls it down behind them so it slams pretty quick, which is nice. That way it doesn't let the heat out in the wintertime. And then when they go to go back in, the center of the door inside of the steel frame is actually a really strong acrylic glass. It's probably about a quarter inch thick and it's shatterproof. And the glass portion of the door is more narrow than the steel frame. So when they go to go in, they can push that glass open into the building and then the spring-loaded system pulls that glass back down in the steel frame. And I'm going to do a full review of these doors on my YouTube channel. So if you're not quite sure what I'm describing here, you actually get to see it. But it's really nice. They get to see outside. It lets natural light in. But it seals tight around the building. So when they go in and out, it keeps all that heat in and completely blocks all the wind from coming in their house. And I've had them on there for quite a while. And they look just like brand new still, and they work great. And it didn't take long for the dogs to figure it out at all. And that company actually became a sponsor of my content. So I encourage you to go check them out. And like I said, it's online. If you just go to gundoghousedoors.com, you can check out their website and see what all products they have. But I can't recommend those dog doors enough. If you just have a dog house, or if you have a dog inside your actual house, and you want to use it as a doggy door and like your back door of your house, anything like that where you'd have a normal dog door on, they're going to be better than anything you get at a store, I guarantee it. And as always, if it's a company made up of the type of people that are willing to support me and coon hunters and squirrel hunters and people like us, then I think we should give them their business and support them as well. And then to continue about the outside portion of the kennel run, on each end of the kennel runs, not on every individual one, but just on the ends, I put up tarps. That way the wind doesn't whip through all the outside parts. So even when they're outside, the wind isn't going to make them too cold. And if all this sounds really expensive to you, it's really not. Like my wood stove and the parts for it, I didn't get anything really brand new except for some of the piping just because I wanted to make sure, especially the part that goes through the building, that it was heavily insulated and not going to be a fire hazard. But all I did was just get on Facebook and make a post asking if anyone had a wood stove or a wood burner available. And a lot of people reached out to me with different suggestions and I actually found a smaller one because my building's not huge. I didn't want to get something big that was going to make it too warm. And I wanted something with a cooktop that way I could cook on it or make coffee and stuff like that on it too. So I ended up finding a nice used wood stove on Facebook for only two and if any of you have looked into wood stoves, especially this time of year recently, they're almost impossible to find. And if you do find them brand new, they're like $800 for like medium to small size ones. This time of year is not a good time of year to buy stuff like that. So I encourage you, especially if you're listening to us later on in the spring or summer, 
or even early fall, if you plan on putting a wood stove in or anything like that in your kennels or your house or wherever, try and do it in the off season. That way you can find it cheaper. And then as far as the inside of the building and their houses and stuff, I had scrap wood laying around from remodeling my house, some sheets of OSB and two by fours and stuff like that. So I used a lot of that. And I also went to Menards and got some stuff for that too. And like I said, if you want to see some more of this, I posted some pictures of it on my social media pages, but but I'll probably do a full kennel walkthrough video once I get it 100% done. There's still a few little things I like to do to it just to make sure it looks good. Like I said, I got a camera system out there. I got new lights put up. I got floodlights put up on the outside of the building. It makes it really nice. So that's just kind of an overview a little bit of what my kennel setup currently is. So as always, if you have any other questions about my kennel or anything like that, or helping dogs stay comfortable in the wintertime, just reach out to me on my other social media pages where you can actually contact me. That's just kind of my opinion. But if you live in the deep south and it doesn't get super cold that often, you probably don't have to go that extreme with a big insulated building and a wood stove and all that stuff. But if you live in the north like I do, where it gets below zero every single year, sometimes as cold as 20 and 30 below when it gets really extremely cold, you have to make sure the dogs and all your animals can get inside and stay warm. Young, healthy, active dogs can withstand cold temperatures a lot better than your older dogs or your puppies, so you got to take that into consideration as well. But lately, I've seen where the weather has been so bad in the south with cold temperatures and snow and ice, and it seems like it's just constant. I see it on Facebook. People post on Facebook, they're getting snow about every day down there. And I know I've seen a lot of posts where people post pictures of their kennel setups and different groups I'm in. People ask for kennel setup ideas and people will post like these pre-manufactured kennel setups that it's almost all wire where it's all just thin metal wire and it's up off the ground. And then they just have a dog house attached to the run. But if it were me, I would make sure I had some way to get them in somewhere out of the cold if something would happen. Something I see a lot of people do is they use heat lamps. And I'm sure all of you know this, but if you're using a heat lamp, you really have to be careful because people burn their houses down and there's a lot of accidents because of them. They're great sources of heat and they're easy to put up because you just plug them in. But the frame of the light itself is really cheaply made and it fails a lot of times. The clip that attaches to it that you can hang on stuff usually gives out and pieces will fall off. And I've heard a lot of stories about them falling down and then sitting on the ground and getting in straw or on wood and, and having one of those electric heat lamps start a fire. So you always have to be careful with that. But if you're experiencing more winter than you're used to or it's colder than normal, my advice to you is just make sure you go out and get some tarps or something to put on the edges of your kennels to make sure the wind and weather don't blow through. And if you live in an area where they actually have agriculture, and you can get straw bales. I would get a lot of straw bales because they seem to do really well with that. There's a reason why farmers all over the Midwest and the North use straw bales for all their animals. It's really good at preserving heat. It's comfortable for the animals to lay on and it's not gonna hurt them. You can go to the store and get bags of wood chips and stuff like that, but that's super expensive. It doesn't last as long, it's not as warm, and I've actually seen and heard of dogs eating it. I've never really used it that much, so I've never had a dog get hurt from it, but I know people and have heard stories about dogs eating large amounts of those wood chips and it messing them up pretty bad, so I wouldn't even mess with it. So make sure they have straw and check out Gundog house doors to seal their house up and make sure you have tarps or some way of blocking them in the wind. And then also, if you have a building, even a garage or your house, just bring them inside. I think it's a really big misconception, but it's really going away. I'm seeing a lot more people open mind to it. People used to really think that you could not keep a hunting dog inside and you couldn't treat a hunting dog like a pet but you really can. And people are really starting to see that because more and more people are trying it and sharing their experience on the internet with it. And in my experiences, the dogs that I've kept in the house have been my best dogs because they have the closest bond with me and they listen to me the best and have the best handle on them. People ask me all the time or they compliment my dog, Jax, because he handles and listens so well. People are always asking me how I got him to handle so well and listen so well 
because if you watch my videos with him, I don't have to use a leash or a lead strap or anything for him. Even when he's treed and pulling them off. And then when I'm ready for him to go hunting, I'll just look at him and he'll look at me and I'll say, go get him. And then he'll just take off running and go get treed. And then when I get there and I'm done checking the tree over, I'll just call him and he'll come to me. And then I'll say, go get him. And he'll go on and go find another one. And he handles like that because every single day he lives in the house and he's been a house dog ever since I got him as a puppy. When I let him out to use the bathroom, he just goes out in the yard and goes and I call him and he comes right back inside. He knows when it's time to hunt and what I want him to do just by my vocal commands because I've socialized and been with him so much. And I think that's really important, especially if you're raising and training dogs on your own, that they love and respect you as an owner and a handler. That way, if you have to make a correction or you're teaching them something, they're more willing to listen and actually let it sink in. If you're buying a finished dog that you're just going to hunt with, it's not as big of a deal because you didn't train it and it's just going to do what it was trained to do by its previous owner. But if you're raising and training dogs on your own, I think it's really important to build a bond with them just to save you some headaches because starting a pup takes a lot of trips to the woods and just being able to load them in and out of the truck and handle them and take them in the woods and then when you're done, call them back and take them back to the truck and load them up with as little problems as possible really goes a long way. And in my experience, the more a dog likes you, the harder it will hunt for you. And like I said earlier, the more old school way of thinking was you didn't really do stuff like that. But I think more people are starting to come around to that. So bringing them in the house is always an option. And I encourage you each to at least try it once with one dog that you get as a puppy, just make it a house dog and also hunt it because they turn out to be really well. One other thing I'd like to add to this, if you're the type of person that think it's wrong to keep a dog outside and keep hunting dogs, I just want to explain to you that having hunting dogs and actually socializing and engaging with them every single day in the same setting as you do, and then also taking them out and letting them explore and run around the woods for hours and get hours and hours of exercise doing what they were genetically coded to do is way different than keeping a dog in a 20 by 20 room staring at a wall all day its whole life. Some people might enjoy just sitting on a couch and staring at screens and looking at lights and not doing anything with their life, but please don't subject dogs to that. Dogs weren't made just to lay on the couch and do nothing and just be fat and die. Dogs were meant to have a beautiful life outside, running around the fresh air, exploring the wilderness. And if you've ever done this and experienced and seen how happy a dog is when it's outside running around, and a coon dog or a squirrel dog especially doing what it was bred and raised to do, that's really a special sight to see. Nothing makes them happier than doing what they were bred and instinctually know what to do. And unless you've actually experienced it, you don't truly understand it and don't really have a right to comment on it. Most of this should be common sense, and I'm sure a lot of you out there already know this, but I just want to talk about that a little bit because I do have a lot of young people that listen and follow my content, and I want to make sure that if they need help with anything like this, they have somewhere to get it. And always make sure that you're feeding high-quality dog food this time of year to help make sure they keep on an adequate amount of weight. Anytime it's really cold out and you're also hunting, they burn more calories than normal, so having a good food source is really important as well. Lately, I've been kind of switching in between dog food. I was feeding Purina for a long time, and then I switched to Victor for a while. And right now, I think Victor's probably my favorite. The dogs seem to just look good on it, and they hold weight on. And another problem we all run into this time of year is water bowls. The water freezes all the time, so inevitably you have to go out there and bust ice. I don't have them yet, but I know they do make heated dog bowls. That way their water won't freeze. So I might eventually get that, but in the meantime, just make sure that they have plenty of water all the time, and it's hard to do because it freezes so much. So what I'll usually do is run hot water in a bucket, and then I'll take their bowl and put it down in the hot water. And it doesn't take very long at all, the ice inside of their bowl separates from the bowl and then you can just knock it out and then you can put more water in it or if you can get a heated dog bowl that's really nice too but just make sure they stay hydrated because it is harder this time of year with it being cold and everything's froze up all the time so to summarize my opinion of taking care of dogs this time of year when it's extremely cold 
they need some basic things. These things include a nice warm place to sleep with fresh bedding, preferably straw, inside of a nice doghouse that's completely sealed off from the outside elements. Make sure the doghouse is insulated or inside of a building that's insulated. If you can put them inside of an insulated building with a heat source, that would be ideal. And then as far as an exterior exit for the dogs, check out gun dog house doors. Those are the best doors that will last you a lifetime. And they actually seal up tight around the door so there won't be a draft getting in on the dogs making them cold or sucking the heat out of their house or the building they're in. And then making sure even outside, if you can give them a wind block, you do as well. And also making sure that they have high quality dog food that maintains their weight and that they stay hydrated. So that's the end of that segment where I discussed my kennel setup and some of my thoughts on how to properly take care of a dog during this time of year. Now I'm going to move on to talking about hunting a dog this time of year. And in my opinion, this time of year is really when you see what type of dog you have. If you have a real coon dog, none of this matters. When you turn it loose, it'll probably go find a coon. But if you just have an average dog or even a slightly above average dog, they're still going to treat a lot of dens, maybe some holes or get into some brush piles. And if you have an inexperienced pup in this weather, you shouldn't expect much at all. If they start showing signs of doing anything positive this time of year as a pup, it's a really good sign because if they're moving forward in this weather, then when spring gets here and the conditions are a lot better, their performance should also get a lot better too. So that's just a little bit of how I handle hunting this time of year when it gets pretty cold and nasty. If any of you have any other questions or want me to elaborate more on that, just let me know on my social media platforms. But that can be a really lengthy topic, and I've already talked a lot so far in this podcast. So if that sounds interesting, let me know, and I'll go over it in my next podcast. But, but now I'm going to move on to the Q&A portion of the podcast. First question comes from Kendall Wynn on Instagram. They want to know different ways to start a pup. And I've tried many different ways over the years. I know they sell different scents you can use. And you can buy drags or just use coon hides or squirrel hides or whatever you want to teach them to do. And you can tease them with it as puppies and have them chase it. Some people don't like doing that as much because they might feel that it teaches them more to use their eyes instead of their nose. So I actually watched a YouTube video the other day that was an interview with Ed Mead. And if any of you know Ed Mead, he's a really well-known blue tick breeder from Michigan. He started the Jet Bloodline in the blue ticks. We've gotten dogs from him in the past. And in this video, he showed some of the ways he starts his pups. He takes a fishing net on a pole and covers the net with coon scent. And when puppies are really little, they'll really chase and get after it. And then they build an association early on with chasing that coon scent. And it's just good to get them out and socialize with them and expose them to coon scent or whatever scent you want to use. So that's another method you could use. The biggest thing is just giving them exposure and time to develop. If I had the space to do it, I would do what a lot of people do. And if you have a farm or a big area that it's safe to let the dog run loose, you can actually just let it run loose on the farm and they'll end up training themselves. Because a lot of people think in order to get a dog to tree a coon or a squirrel or whatever you want it to do, you actually have to physically teach it what to do. The reason why a dog trees anything is because it's bred to do it. If you take a coon hound or a squirrel dog or any specific working dog that was bred for a specific purpose, so what a lot of people will do, they'll just let it run loose on a farm. And by doing this, it's pretty much hunting nonstop. It's just out in the wild running around the yard or or if they have a woods really close by, it can go out there and play and run around. And what a lot of times what happens is they'll run across a squirrel or something like that in the woods and then they'll start treeing it. And then once the dog starts treeing stuff on its own like that, then you could pretty much just take it to the woods and just start hunting it. And it should just develop on its own. You can try different hide stuff like laying drags. You can try different scent techniques like laying drags and doing hang-ups with a hide in a tree and getting in a tree on it, stuff like that. But for the most part, any dog that I've had that has made a really good quality dog, I really don't think it made that much of a difference what I did with it. The genetic traits in it were so strong to do what it was doing that I could have did just about anything and it would have turned out. I've had really good dogs tree coon and squirrel without ever even seeing a coon or squirrel before. They just did it because they're bred to do it and their instincts took over and they did it. And I don't think if I would have showed a coon or a squirrel to that dog before that happened, 
that it would have really hurt it or really did anything. It may speed up the process a little bit, but in my opinion, if your dog's going to make a good quality tree dog, it has to have the genetic makeup of it. There are different ways to speed up the process or kind of guide them along the way, but it's mostly on them. You just have to help them out and take care of them and let them have fun on their own. And they all mature at really different times. Some of them start really, really young, and some of them start really late, and some of them don't start at all. Some of them might run a lot of tracks and not end up treeing very much, and other ones might not track much and make a lot of trees. Some end up being very accurate. Some of them are horribly inaccurate. Bottom line, dogs are all different, and they all develop at different rates. But if you select a good quality bloodline from a proven breeder, especially from a proven cross, you really increase the odds of your dog turning out. And my experience might not be the same for everyone else either. We as people are also very different. We all have different work schedules, different personalities, different terrain to hunt with different dogs. Only thing I can do is just give you my experience and what works for me and see if it helps you out. But in my experience, I haven't had a ton of luck showing dog game myself because what happens is you end up trying to make a dog do something it's not ready to do yet. You have to make sure a dog's actually mature enough and ready to do it. So what I would do today if I had a new puppy from taking it as a puppy to a finished dog, I'd probably do this. I would make sure it had a quality place to live. I would socialize with it every single day. I would make sure it knew all the basic commands that you planned on using. Make sure it knows its name and how to come when you call it. Get it used to riding in a dog box or however you plan on transporting it. Get it used to wearing a tracking system when it's old enough, when it actually fits on it. And I can't stress this enough. Every day, socialize with it and play with it and get it out. Give it attention and get it used to you. This helps them develop and become more bold and get rid of any shyness they might have. And then I really wouldn't mess with it hunting-wise until it was probably closer to five months old. And around then, I might get a hide or something to show to it just once to see if it will bark at it or anything. Because a lot of times, in my experience, really young, immature dogs might just look at it and try and play with it or might not really pay attention to it. Or if they do, they just kind of treat it like a toy. And then maybe when they get more experienced or perhaps they're developing more of their hunting genes, then it's almost like a switch goes off where they hit a certain milestone in their development, where if you show them a hide, they start barking at it like they want to get after it, like they're actually hunting. And once they start doing that, they actually start showing you their hunting instincts are starting to kick in. Sometimes as early as five months old, I've seen sometimes a lot later than that. Then I'd start taking it to the woods. And then once you start hunting it, in my experience, I always hunt my dogs alone, especially the way dogs have been bred in the last 20 years. They've been bred to be very independent and not hunt with other dogs due to competition hunting. So what ends up happening usually if you take it hunting with another dog as a pup, it does two things. It runs with the other dog and just wants to play or screw around. Or it tries running with the other dog and then the other dog just wants to get away from it and then you end up chasing two dogs all night. In my experience, I have never had absolutely any luck at all taking two dogs hunting at once hunting an older dog with a pup. So all my pups get singled out. And then pretty much you just gotta take it to a place where it's gonna get the most exposure at whatever game you're pursuing, preferably at a time in the year where the weather's the best for it. For example, if you're trying to train a coon or a squirrel dog, consider food sources, whether that be ag fields or like acorns or stuff like that, and take them around places like that. Pretty much anywhere there's gonna be a high density population of whatever game you're going after. That way they have the most opportunity to get on scent. And then it just comes down to woods time. And then once I did that, I would expect them to start opening on track or treeing or doing something after a few weeks of doing that. So if I've been messing with a dog for a few months and they have opened much, I'm going to get kind of worried. And by hunting them for a few months, I don't mean taking them out twice a month. I mean hunting them three to five times a week for two months straight. Because usually what happens for me if a dog's going to make it, if you take them out consistently for a few months, they'll start barking or doing something in the woods. And then once they do start treeing or doing things positive that you like, 
always make sure you give them positive reinforcement and pet them up and encourage them. And then hopefully that day comes where they do tree whatever you're after, whether that be coon or squirrel or bear or whatever you're going after. Then you finally get to reward them with what they did. I personally don't shoot a lot of animals out to my dogs. I don't feel that they need it that much. And fur prices aren't worth much anyways. And like I said earlier, I hunt year-round, so I enjoy having high-gain populations, especially if I'm starting my own pups. But if you have a new pup that's just starting a tree, it's always good to get some fur in their mouth. So those are just some of the things I like to do with starting pups. And if you have any other questions, just reach out and I'll try and get back with you. The next question comes from Catch Em Alive on YouTube. Their question is, how do I deal with making sure my dog doesn't tree possums or how do I break dogs off of treeing possums? And to start out with, I just want to say that I don't really have much experience with this. To be honest, I never had a dog really mess with possums all that much. Coon dog-wise, the dog I've hunted the most probably in the last seven years has been Jack's. And he's only gotten into a possum three times in the last seven years. And I hunt him quite a bit. And each time he's gotten into a possum, twice was on the ground, once was in a tree. And all three times, it was in the dead of winter when nothing else was moving and he just ran up on it. And just told him no and scolded him. And he cares about me enough that if he knows that I'm upset with him, it really bothers him. So he doesn't do it again. And that's why it's important to me to build up a good bond with a dog. That way it's easier to correct them and keep them on the right path. I do know there are people out there that have dogs that seem to prefer possums and just go after possums and tree a lot of them. I've never really had a dog like that. There are quite a bit of possums in this area, but I've heard some really kooky stuff about it. Some people recommend shooting the possum out to the dog and then correcting the dog and a whole bunch of weird stuff. And to me, anytime you shoot something out of a tree or give a dog an experience where whatever it caught, it gets killed, then it's accomplishing its goal. And also a lot of people get so bent out of shape about their dog's tree and possums when they don't even competition hunt. To me, it's never really made sense if you're going coon hunting and your dog trees a possum like once a se even if it's once a season, who cares? If a tree's 300 coon and one possum in a year, who cares? If the ratio is flipped and it's just slamming possums left and right, then that's a different issue. But I see so many people that get bent out of shape that either they don't competition hunt or they have a dog that they enter in local competition hunts and don't really compete at a national level, occasionally training a possum and they just get absolutely bent out of shape and can't handle it. I'm not saying it's this person, but I know that's one issue that gets that really, really works people up a lot. Because if your dog does that in a competition hunt, then you get disqualified. But if you're competition hunting and you have a dog that trees possums all the time and seems to prefer possums, I'm really sorry to break it to you, but it's probably not going to be the most successful dog in the world. The dogs that are at the top of the competition hunting world are there for a reason, because of the best coon dogs. When you cut them loose, they want to go get a coon, they prefer coon, and they go get coon. They don't mess with off game. Yeah, you do have mediocre dogs or middle-of-the-run dogs that will tree coon and win some small hunts or might maybe even get lucky and win a big hunt. But in my opinion, if you're not competing for world championships or have a super high-caliber quality of dog, I don't think you should really get that upset about it if it occasionally trees a possum, especially if you're hunting in the wintertime and there's absolutely nothing moving. That kind of goes back to what I said earlier about having patience with your dog. So many people don't really hunt that often anymore, so their dogs don't actually get worked that much. And then they take their dog out in the wintertime and expect it to just tree coon left and right because season's in. And what happens is the dog might be rusty or inexperienced, and then you add that with a combination of coon not moving and being denned up. And then you add in the fact that there's possums everywhere and deer everywhere and all sorts of stuff to get into that shouldn't be getting into. It's just a recipe for a bad night. It also depends on the age and experience of the dog. If you're starting a pup or training a pup and it trees a possum, that's not a bad thing. Like I said in my previous podcast, and if you saw my Hansman Spotlight series, both the UKC and AKC world champions 
as pups started treeing things that were not coon. Many coon hounds and tree dogs in general tree things that climb from early ages and then start to switch to whatever you single them out on or whatever they're genetically bred to do. So if I have a coon hound that trees a squirrel at night or trees a possum at night or does something like that as a pup, I'm actually pretty excited because I actually know that it is hitting a track, following the track and running the animal up a tree and barking at it, which is exactly what I want it to do. So it will inevitably start doing that with coon as well. And when it does, you can start rewarding it with fur in its mouth and that action really brings out their instincts. But like I said, there's many factors that go into that. If it's a pup, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I would just scold it and lead it off the tree and recut it. If it's an older dog that does it all the time, then you'd have to do some sort of corrections with maybe like an electronic collar or something like that. But if you're a pleasure hunter and it does it sometimes, just relax and go have fun. To be honest, I wish I had a dog that just loved possums. This time of year, you can't take five steps outside without coming across one. If I had a good possum dog, we would have a heck of a night and it'd be some great videos for you guys. But if you plan on competing at a high level, then you definitely have to take care of it early. And that doesn't mean beating its brains out or being crazy with it. It means having a strong enough bond with a dog to where it actually understands your commands and it's more likely to listen to you and take it to heart. And if you seem to be hunting a bloodline of dogs that seems to favor possums a lot, I suggest switching bloodlines. Because like I said earlier, a lot of this stuff is genetic and you can't really change what's coded in them genetically. So to fully answer the question, I'd have to have no more details. Specifically, how old is the dog? Where is it in its hunting progression? What time of year? What type of terrain? What breed? What are your plans? There's a lot more that go into it than just tree and possums. Tree and one possum a year versus 30 possums a year is a big difference. It's also a big difference if it's a five-month-old pup or a five-year-old dog. So if you want me to elaborate more of that, just comment again and I'll address it in my next podcast. Next question comes from Outdoor RN on YouTube. They want to know what the smallest piece of land I've ever turned loose on is. And I'll begin by saying that this is my personal experience with my dog, so I can safely say that I did this responsibly. But the smallest property I've ever turned loose on is actually a small five-acre woods. This is a small five-acre woods that on the west quarter of it has a creek running through it and it's surrounded by ag fields. It also has logging trails through it, so it's really nice walking and it makes it an ideal place to hunt pups. I never kill game out of this woods, that way I can take pups there. It also sits about 600 yards off the road and has a long lane going to it. So what I'll do with the finished dog is I'll take it back at the very beginning of the lane when I go and cut it loose so it actually has to run 500 yards before it gets to the woods. This is a good way to get some exercise for him and also keep him going strong. If I had a really wide hunting dog, I probably wouldn't do that if I didn't have permission to hunt the surrounding properties. But a dog like Jax or a dog that has a really good handle on it that actually comes when you call it with modern technology like a doctor tracking collar, you can just look at your phone and see exactly where it's at. And if you need to get them for whatever reason, you can either call them or you can actually hit the tone button and you can teach them to come to you when you tone them. But where I live, it's pretty much just really small choppy sections of timber. There's a few larger sections, but I'd say the average size is about 40 acres. Some bigger, some small. But the smallest I've turned loose in is five acres. And really, if you have a coon dog or a squirrel dog that's actually a good finished dog, and you turn it in there loose by itself especially, it's going to get treed in there because there's a ton of game in there. Next question comes from Ron Wilson on YouTube. He wants to know when I would cut my losses on a dog and move on to something else. And to me, that all depends on the individual owner and the individual dog. But if I was just going to give you a general answer and an overview, if a dog is three years old and it's not doing anything, it's probably not going to make it. Or if you've had a dog and you've worked with it really hard and hunted it hard and it's had ample opportunities. I'm talking six to eight months of good, solid work and time in the woods. And if it's not showing you signs of doing something, 
And if it's, if it's making you question whether or not it's going to make it, it's probably time to move on. You can keep that dog as a pet or give it to a family as a pet and try another dog or just keep it or whatever you want to do with it. But if you're looking for a really good hunting dog, I wouldn't continue to invest a whole lot of time in it if you put that much work into it and it's still not doing something. Next part of his question, he asked if I ever used a small caliber muzzleloader for squirrel or coon. And I've never really messed with muzzleloaders much. I've killed deer with muzzleloaders, but I don't even really classify my muzzleloader as a muzzleloader because, because it's a modern muzzleloader with two pellets and, and the power belt bullet. It's got a 28-inch Bagheera barrel on it and a really nice Vortex scope. And I can accurately shoot 300 yards with it. And I actually killed a pretty nice buck with it about four years ago. But since then, I pretty much gave up gun hunting and I've been using just a bow ever since and I enjoy that a lot more. But as far as using other muzzleloaders or real muzzleloaders in my opinion where you actually measure out the powder and do it by hand like that, I haven't really messed with it. Not opposed to it at all. I think it would be a load of fun. My only issue would be my eyesight is so poor, and squirrels don't timber a whole lot usually around here because they're fox squirrels. It's a lot of times hard to see them unless you have some sort of optic. So if I had binoculars or if someone else was with me, I would definitely love using one. Next question comes from Parker Cables. He asks, what age I start taking pups to the woods? And that really depends on the individual dog and where they're at. All dogs mature at different ages. So if they show signs in the yard or around the house that they're looking adventurous or if they're starting to tree and bark at things around the house, then I'll start hunting them. As I said in my previous podcast, my mountain cur named Jax was running and treeing his own coon at five months old. That is rare, but they do start at early ages. It's more on the individual dog, but if I were to give you a general answer, I would pretty much just say anywhere between six to nine months is a good time to start. Last question comes from Jay Sayer. They want to know how to get a dog to stop being an alligator on a tree. And for those of you that might not know what that means, it could mean a couple things. If the dog is treed and the handler goes to get him and put his leash on him, some dogs get pretty bitey. It's kind of like a territorial thing, like they're really proud of themselves that they treed whatever they treed and they don't want to be removed from that tree. So it's kind of like an assertion of dominance thing where they'll snap back or bite at you. Or being an alligator on tree could mean another thing. If you're hunting more than one dog together and one of them trees and then the other dog comes in to back their tree and tree with them, that dog might get mean at the other dog. So I'll kind of address both issues here. I have had dogs that when you go to handle them on a tree might snap at you a little bit. And what I mean by that, I don't mean they're actually like angry or trying to bite you. They just might snap at your hand because they're excited. But the biggest thing is just making sure that they know you're there. Because they're so locked in on the tree and going nuts and barking and it's dark and they're all worked up and excited that if you just go up behind them and grab them, it might scare them or surprise them and they might snap back at you. So just make sure that your presence is known, talk to them and encourage them. And if you do it enough, you'll know how to approach them and just grab their collar and put a lead strap on them and they'll be fine. Dogs that do that tend to be some pretty good tree dogs usually because they're so intense. Now the other thing I don't really have experience with and I will never put up with if I have a dog that gets mean and bites at other dogs or growls at other dogs or gets aggressive towards other dogs like that, especially on a tree, I want nothing to do with that and I would not hunt or own that dog. And I'm a pleasure hunter and even if I was a competition hunter, I wouldn't want that. The only thing that's going to accomplish is it could ruin someone else's dog, it could ruin friendships, and it'll ruin your competition hunting as well. And some dogs get mean specifically with females, some get specifically mean with males. So if that's the issue and you and a buddy go hunting and one of you has a male, one of you has a female, and one of them gets mean with the other, try hunting different dogs together. See if they're only like that with males or if they're only like that with females. If you try correcting a dog for doing something like that and it just doesn't work and it just really doesn't like hunting with other dogs, 
about the only thing you can do is just hunt it by itself. If it's a great coon dog and trees coon consistently, but if it has another dog there with it, if it gets mean, then just hunt it by itself. Don't risk getting dogs in a fight or ruining a friendship or don't make a bad name for yourself hunting dogs like that because people won't want to hunt with you and you'll get a reputation for hunting dogs like that if you have mean dogs. Me personally being a pleasure hunter especially, and I do hunt and train my own dogs alone for the most part, if I had a dog that was like that, I might just hunt it by itself, but I wouldn't breed it. It would have to be a really special dog for me to keep it though because I really don't like mean dogs. I really don't like it when dogs do that and I wouldn't want to expose my family or friends or anyone else if I was competition or anything to a mean dog like that. So I would just get a different dog more than likely. If it's an ongoing issue and you've tried correcting it over and over again and it doesn't seem to sink in, it's probably just genetically how it is. And unless you're planning on hunting it strictly by itself, then I would just get a new dog. So I'm not sure which one you were asking if you're asking about a dog snapping at you on the tree when you go to leash it up or if you're talking about a mean dog. But I hope I answered both of them adequately enough for you. And if not, if you have any further questions about it, just reach out to me and I'll talk about it. Well, that was a few questions from you guys this week. And as always, if you ever have any future questions or if you want to say something about something I said, just feel free to reach out to me and comment either on my YouTube channel, my Facebook page, or on Instagram. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'm enjoying making them, so I'll keep doing them. There'll be a new one up at least once a week. And if you want to see some of the best coon and squirrel hunting content, be sure you check out my YouTube channel, Stark Outdoors. You can see some competition hunts, a lot of my pleasure hunts, and some of the best coon hounds in the world. Also, like I mentioned before, I post a lot on Instagram, Stark underscore outdoors. They see some great pictures of dogs doing what they're bred to do. And my Facebook page titled Clayton Stark, Stark Outdoors. In the future, you can reach me at these locations. And also, I'll be answering your questions every week. So if you listen to this and you want me to give you a shout out and answer some of your questions or have a discussion about something, just reach out to me on there and comment. Be on the lookout because... Every week I'll make a post where I say you can post your comments here. That way I know if you have any questions, I can go there and read them for you guys. So thank you for listening to this. And if you listened all the way to the end, I really appreciate it. Something to keep in mind also if you're interested in any squirrel hunting videos. This weekend, Adam and Chuck Loudon, Kenny Smith, and Alan Franklin are all coming up to go squirrel hunting. These men are all really well known in the cur dog world and have produced some good quality world champion squirrel dogs. And I think I've only killed about three squirrels this year, and I have thousands of acres we can hunt. So it should be a pretty good time, and we should get a lot of squirrels and get some really good footage for you guys. So if you want to see some high-quality squirrel hunting coming up, be on the lookout for that as well. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you next week. You ended up treeing seven-tenths of a mile. I had my light on coming in, and he had another coon. So turned him loose three times, he had three coons. Ah, 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 ah,